Welcome, welcome, everyone. To Salutations. The, oh, my God. <laughs> welcome to the inaugural episode of the Back Row Lessons podcast. Back Row Lessons. Yes. My name is Paul Davis, and I am here with my co-host, Nolan Meshke. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for the first kind of episode of <laughs> the Back Row Lessons podcast. Just to give you guys a quick intro, what the heck is this? What the hell am I listening mm-hmm. to? Um, Nolan and I, we're... Two good friends, and I, I'm a history nerd who just cannot get enough of researching dumb things on the internet and just needing to tell people. Mm-hmm. So I forced him into doing this podcast with me where I will tell him a bunch of random, weird, and kooky <laughs> things from history uh, for yeah. you know an hour at a time. Mm-hmm. And I'm It'll, just going along for the ride. Yeah, he's going to learn something or else learn to hate me, uh, <laughs> one or the other. So yeah, like we were saying, uh, this is a history podcast, but mm-hmm. Nolan and I, neither of us are professional comedians. He's never got paid for telling jokes. Yep, I've, I've never, never got paid. I've done stand-up open mics and failed miserably so you cannot call me a comedian and what we're gonna try to do is just you know we're just gonna give you a history lesson like we said we're not comedians but we want you to enjoy the show um we'll give some just dry jokes or just really bad jokes or we'll even laugh at it we'll laugh at ourselves we'll just laugh because we just don't know what else to do yeah it's gonna (laughs) be some pretty middle school level humor i'm sorry Mm -hmm. it's gonna be kind of that's why we're not paid comedians yeah exactly shockingly yes (laughs) but yeah so we're not comedians we're not historians uh i went to college for history but i would not call myself a historian yet after this podcast makes us you know a hundred million dollars each we can maybe call ourselves historians (laughs) now that's gonna piss off a lot of people but uh (laughs) not even nearly not qualified at all not actually you are not me i'm not qualified but still more qualified yeah (laughs) i've wrote a paper okay there we go that's (laughs) that's my expertise uh so to give you guys a glimpse into what's to expect at least this first season because each episode is uh not a separate topic on its own we're gonna do a season where it's a series like you know you know a season you've probably mm-hmm. either listened to another podcast you've or watched watch the office you yeah, know the watch tv mm-hmm. if you don't know what a season is i'm impressed at this point but <laughs> the first season the first couple episodes we're gonna be jumping around a little bit but then we're gonna f- hone we're gonna focus in on the Tudor kingdom of England. And then we're just going to, we're going to hang out there because there's just so much craziness with Henry and his children and his wives. So that's going to be season one. Yeah. (laughs) It will be fun. You're going to be in for some weird shit, but (laughs) these first two, maybe three episodes, just depending on how much we can fit into each episode Mm. uh, are a little bit out there, but that's just as we get our bear, you know, our wheels turning, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, get the feel. Yeah. Get, get, get comfortable. You know, you can't just day one. They don't, send you to the tallest crane on the construction site you got to work your way up yeah. to <laughs> to moving the big things and not causing you know giant destruction so we're we're on not even a bulldozer i think they might just give us a hammer and nails for this episode <laughs> but this first episode we're just going to be talking about australia the the mm. continent not nice not the, the a little bit about the people but just the continent itself do you know uh, any fun facts on the top of your head man oh i have a lot of fun facts here for you i got uh. about an hour of fun facts <laughs> anything that doesn't have to do with the episode not anything to do with the episode but there was that time they uh lost a war to a bunch of emus so that was is that a real thing yeah the great emu war uh <laughs> When did this happen? Uh, that was like the 1930s. Uh, it was like, <laughs> you know how basically 
Australia is like beautiful coast, and then you go two miles in, and it's pretty much like desert. It's like Nevada. No, but that makes that's sense. That's what it well, is. Yeah, it's the out, actually, you know yeah. Outback Steakhouse? Uh-huh. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, it's like every Outback Steakhouse, but I think in the 30s they had a bunch of emus in the Southwest Territory. Okay. Uh, that was originally going to be the topic for the season, but then we kind of restructured our theme here. Mm. Uh, but great emu war thing was a bunch of emus kept invading farmers' properties, so the farmers called in like the national, like the local army people, and they tried to kill all the emus, and the emus fought back, like just swarmed them, and they're like, "We lost, we can't." <laughs> oh my the, the emus took the territory. That sounds like a lot. Like there must have been so many for that to happen. They were. They Holy had shit. like. There's a Wikipedia page to it. It's quite interesting. <laughs> but we got a lot more Australia facts for you, and then next week to move us more towards the two doors, we're going to be talking about the spice trade. So. <laughs> I think it's time to to jump on in to this first episode, our first lecture. You ready? Well, you know what my dad says. I don't, so... Oh, shit, I already forgot. Well, yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) He said, yes, I am ready for this first episode. I've heard him say that. So we're we're going way back. Normally, we won't go this far back in history, but just because, you know, we got to start way, way back if we're going to start with the first episode. So... The formation of Australia, literally how the fuck did land exist in this part of the world? So (laughs) Australia, billions of years ago, there was this movie from Disney called Dinosaurs. (laughs) That movie traumatized me as a child. Did you see that in theaters? If I didn't see it in theaters, I definitely saw it. I saw it as a child because I remember being really scared of the- I barely remember seeing it in theaters, and I don't know why I'm remembering this now, but like the kids' toys, like those rubber little Muppet or puppet things. Yeah. Yeah. The like- (laughs) They have a ride still based on that movie, like that movie at really? Disney Park, and I wonder how many children who go there are like, I love a dinosaur movie. <laughs> ah! They walk out traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> it's not land uh, land before time. So Australia is a separate continent. Broke uh, began to form after the breakup. Oh Jesus! So we're starting out, like I said, I'm gonna butcher a lot of words. We're just getting yeah, right all into good. It. Just go for so it. He, it began to form after the breakup of Gondwana in the Permian <laughs> Age. This is millions <laughs> of years ago, with the separation from basically the African continent and India. So it used to be like, you know, like a puzzle. Yeah. Put all them together. That's where it was. Uh, (laughs) The Permian Age lasted from... Got a nice perm going on. Yeah. Everyone, every animal then had a very nice perm, so much hair (laughs) product. And that's what led to this. Uh, The Permian Age lasted from... 298.9 298.9 million years ago. Okay, you can round up to 300 million at that point. If, okay, it's 298.9. Okay, just just round mm-hmm. up. Um, I'm not to, that picky. Yeah, exactly. We're not math teachers here either. Uh, to the beginning of the Triassic period, so that, that was the prequel to the Jurassic, I assume, at around 251 million years ago. And that has an even longer decimal and... An, it's so dumb. Like, all right, 0.902 million years. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Permian, uh, the, we got to start out on a happy note, and I, I found the perfect thing to start out the podcast on such a positive note. The Permian-Triassic extinction event is colloquially known as the Great Dying. The Great Dying? <laughs> the Great Dying. That's a good note. That's a yeah. dang. <laughs> Welcome back for our lessons. The Great Dying podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is... Earth's most severe known extinction event. Okay. So, like we said in the dinosaur movies at the end yeah. when everyone is dying, it's pretty much that. <laughs> Around 80 So is this like the one that everybody thinks about when it comes to like the great meteor that killed all the this dinosaurs? This isn't the meteor. This is like before 
before it, it seems. Really? Because 81% of all marine species were killed. 70% of terrestrial vertebrae species became extinct. So if you're lining them up on the schoolyard and there's 10 kids, one, two, three, you're good. Everyone else, dead. (laughs) Dead. Not you guys. I guess that's kind of how natural selection works, but yeah. (laughs) I guess, yeah. Uh, It is the largest known mass extinction of insects, which I know it's controversial to say, but growing up in Minnesota where there's a shit ton of mosquitoes, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Almost 60% of all biological families and genes, so much more percentage in genes, became extinct. So... To summarize the great dying, a lot of things died. <laughs> I think that's a good way to sum that thing up. It's just not like an awesome metal album that yeah. just got released. I assume it's probably a great metal album <laughs> because the great dying definitely sounds like a like a Swedish death metal band. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's what I was thinking too. So uh, potential causes of this extinction event include one or more large meteor event. It's not the one that we always think in the Yucatan that killed all the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. It's a different one. Massive volcanic eruptions, such as the Siberian Traps. That's not a that's not a Russian uh, rap group right there, the Siberian <laughs> Traps. And this isn't a political statement, but also, and climate change brought on by large releases of underwater methane, methane-producing microbes, and combustion of fossil fuels. Fun. So the, so the ancient alien oil exporters <laughs> killed 70, you know, 70% of everything, you know, <laughs> those bastards. Uh, Australia, at this when everything was dying, Australia was still connected to Antarctica. They okay. Were a big piece. Uh, was it still the, like everything a giant continent at that, that point? It, it wasn't the Pangaea thing, but it was like kind of little separated, starting yeah, to cracks was, and whatnot. It wasn't like a mega continent. It was a couple super continents. It was like Ooh, two or three of them. That's okay. what I think the Gondwana is. So, uh, and, uh, the Antarctica. Yeah, that's and Australia. The, anything else? Uh, I. Didn't see any. I didn't write anything else, but I assume probably New Zealand okay. or some small <laughs> islands. Okay. Actually, it was Madagascar. Just <laughs> they're still moving. In about five years, they're going to hit the coast of Africa. It's going to be a <laughs> oh god, it's going to be scary. Whew. No. <laughs> so in the Cretaceous period, so they skipped the entire Jurassic Park period. Mm-hmm. Australia rifted from Antarctica. Uh, Australia was warm. <laughs> okay, this is this is why I was saying we need to make fun of. The history okay. of things. This was a phrase I saw. I found Australia was warm and wet during the Paleocene. Oh God! You could say so many dirty <laughs> jokes from that. Australia was warm and wet. Just how I like it, man. Just yeah. how I like it. Uh, and you it was domin- for other things. For now, we could be like, hmm, yeah. damn, that's Australia. Very Australia, warm and wet. <laughs> that's that should be on their uh, license plate. Australia colon warm and wet uh and it was dominated by rainforest has so anyone, like has any chick ever told you she's feeling australia well when a girl says she's australian that's what you now know oh god she's warm and Ooh, wet. oh god oh, <laughs> <laughs> we, well we, okay, within we 10 on. minutes we've already offended every australian woman so yeah. i think we're off to a great start <laughs> oh on the podcast <laughs> the opening of the tasman gateway also sounds sexual and <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. Okay. The opening of the Tasman Gateway at the Eocene Oligocene boundary. Those aren't, I don't think those are real words, but uh, <laughs> 33 million years ago resulted in abrupt cooling, but then the Oligocene, that later part, became a period of high rainfall with swamps in Southeast Australia. So it's split away from Antarctica. It's getting really warm and wet and rainy and swampy. 
first it was wet and warm, and then it got kind of swampy. Ugh. It was too wet and warm for too long, and then it got swampy. Oh, God. Like, Sorry, Australian women. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, watch out uh, Asia, the continent of uh, Asia. Why? Australia is currently moving towards the Eurasian continent at a rate of six to seven centimeters a year. Wait, right now? Yes. Damn. So, did we move? Okay, six centimeters. Wow, we're moving. <laughs> Hold on, everybody. Make sure we ha- make sure the Sydney Opera House is secure. We're put on your seatbelts. Yeah, but everyone ride. has to wear a seatbelt at all times in Australia. <laughs> but Australia is part of the Shawl Shelf. The Shawl Shelf. What the hell is that? Uh, part of the Shawl Shelf also is Papua New Guinea, Timor, and other islands. The Shawl Shelf was coined in 1919 mm. by G A F. Mollingraf. That's his name. He's Dutch, and they have the worst names in history. Wait, what's his name? G A F, because he has three first names. G A F. Okay, that's why you said yeah, that. Okay. Mollingraf. Mollingraf. Yeah. Who he was described as an authority on the geology of the Dutch East Indies. So, like Indonesian Austria, mm. or not Austria, <laughs> Australia. We already mixed those <laughs> ones up. And wow, Austria really moved. <laughs> yes. So his full name was. Gustav Adolf, spelt that way, that you know. <laughs> yeah. Like that one other Adolf guy. Oh, yeah, the that, one other Adolf. The other one. Uh, Gustav, know about. Yeah, the <laughs> Gustav Adolf Frederick Mollengraf. Like I said, he had three first names. Uh, he was a friend of this other this other academic in the area, uh, a friend of Wilhelm Frederick Gissel. Oh, you're, you're called Frederick, too? I'm Frederick, too. Nice. Uh, so who, much in common. Yeah, who is a Dutch geologist who died in a Japanese concentration camp. Oh, <laughs> shit. Whew. Dang. So how'd you go? Oh, how, how's, uh, how's Will doing? The Japanese got him. <laughs> <laughs> Never fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found this fact that I, th- I think is very important for Australia. What? In, in general. The dingo reached Australia about 4,000 years ago. Is that an animal? Yeah, so you know that famous dingo ate my baby or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Which I think they have, but it turned out to be, I think that story turned out to be true. But yeah, the dingo reached Australia 4,000 years ago. So it's been chilling for 4,000 years. 4,000? That's so not we that invaded long, them. About. Okay. <laughs> the English colonized the dingo. <laughs> so uh, I think we talked a little bit about the island. Uh, mm-hmm. We should talk a little bit about the aborigines who mm. inhabit the island in the first and people. That's the natives. Right? Yeah, that's okay. the natives. Uh, they're called aborigine because there's a lot of different groups of ethnic. Would you say native Australian or would that not work? I mean, it's the, it describes them. They're native to Australia. Okay. I think just aborigine is just a kind of blanket umbrella term for all of them. Ah, okay. Yeah, because uh, there's just so many pockets of specific cultures and mm-hmm. different. I'm going to butcher these names because there's not a very reliable Google Translate for very smallly spoken Australian Aborigine languages. Mm. Shockingly, I know. There's not a lot of resources going into that. So we're going to talk about uh, the oldest site in Australia showing human inhabitation there. The Majebe Bay Shelter Site. Oh, I thought you were going to say, not my baby. Not my baby. <laughs> shelter Site. Also formerly known as the Malacca Kunja 2 shelter site so they were like the first one was so good we need to name a second yeah <laughs> the sequel is going to be better than the the original uh-oh it isn't let's just rebrand um, <laughs> so this has the oldest evidence so far discovered of human occupation in australia so 
this is the oldest that we can tell. Hey, someone's been here. Yeah. Uh, the exact as like a considered a civilization. Or? Not even civilization. Just evidence of people being here. Okay. Just like reliable, consistent. Like it's a shelter site, so there's. I'll I'll describe it a little bit. Okay. But people were here not just in passing. You know, someone mm. didn't just drop a tool and leave. Mm-hmm. They spent time. I like here. this place. It's I'll not, be here yeah. for a while. You know, the, the the shore is beautiful, and about two miles that way is just desert. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think we found a good spot to survive. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's exact old like age is debated as a lot of these things are. There's no sign that was mm. you know Majebebe discovered and settled in 6,000 years ago or whatever. There's not a sign that says yeah. that or anything. I don't know if you know this. Is this like the same um, people that have like r- like cave paintings that somehow made it for thousands of years? Uh, there's cave paintings here. I don't know. Like there's a lot of paintings in this area okay. of Australia that we're talking about. And I can't even reference this, but I think yeah. like they have some of the oldest like cave paintings like found. Yeah. There's pockets. Like whatever. there's a group here that are very old this at least for australia this is some this is the oldest so i think it would probably be closer around this area okay but so it's estimated to be about sixty-five thousand years old Mm. give or take about six thousand years which when i estimate someone's age i like to estimate within a range of about six thousand years like yo 42 with a range of six thousand years (laughs) (laughs) that way i'm always right okay uh and that's uh from yeah, so and this was discovered in about 20 like the mid 2010s, which is sad to say cuz it feels like that was the majority of our lives. Okay. Uh, it was like 2017 <laughs> the article came out saying this. Okay. Um so this is a quote here. This is like, we're going to get into some dense quotes, but this is is weird. Uh cool, okay. Let's hear it. Archaeobotanical inv- archaeobotanical like arche- okay, I'll, I'll, not I'll botanist. Yeah, archaeo Botanical, so like archae, like archaeologists and botany people. Oh, yeah. I thought you were saying Ar- someone's name for no, a second. No, no, okay. archaeobotanical <laughs> investigations. There we go. It took me a couple times. Woo. Yeah, like I'm, English is not off limits to me fucking up. I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, these investigations, I, I'm not trying to repeat that word again, have demonstrated the exploitation of plant foods, including seeds, tubers, and panda news nuts i don't know Wait, what it's panda these nuts yeah panda these nuts uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's like panda n-u-s so panda just news? the shitty version of panda express yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> well okay or you could pronounce it the first way i did which is panda anus what okay i'm okay, already, i'm P- just like zoning out what are we talking about again we're, we're talking about this old shelter site and shelter site are th- these the people or like this is of, like the evidence that like has people been found. working to find it yeah, different, so okay. at this site, this is the evidence of humans being there that they found. Ah, so, they so the found, people that are educated yeah, in these things. they found evidence of people using plant foods. So, like, people either growing or, you know how you pull a corn apart and then you yeah. can eat it? So, like, that kind of they evidence. They evidence of that? Not just specific corn, but, like, yeah, so, like, seeds. I didn't eat any corn. Yeah, well, this is what I always think about. Like, okay, so it's been 65,000 years. This stuff has laid somewhat undisturbed. Mm-hmm. How much shit has gone on, like... 200 feet away that has happened yeah. in that time like mm-hmm. someone's gotten laid someone's gotten murdered or whatever <laughs> and 200 feet away there's all this rich trove of evidence yeah. i i'm always fascinated by that so yeah and they got some panda anus nuts um, <laughs> sorry yeah. fuel wood was also from local eucalyptus trees and monsoon vines so oh. they found some fuel wood or evidence of it and then food remnants uh, mm. More than 1,000 artifacts have been excavated. Things like 
stone artifacts, nice. uh, ground stone axe heads, grinding stones. That stone is kind of circular. Let's grind on it, boy. Dude, that stuff is honestly just fucking fascinating, not going to lie. Yeah, no, when you find this stuff, how long has it been undisturbed there and things have gone on for mm-hmm. it for so long? That's what always fascinates me, too. Also found was animal bones, shellfish remains, charcoal, human bear, and some human burials. Mm-hmm. Uh, some pieces, some things were buried more than eight feet below the surface. So they're like, that person is fucking weird. Let's put them <laughs> down. No. Nice. Uh, part of the land, these lands here on the shelter site, mm-hmm. uh, are owned by the Mirar people, an Aborigine people of, of the, okay. Gunwin you. Okay. You got this. I believe in you. Gunwin Guan list linguistic group. So it's, <laughs> it's sorry. Yeah, no, okay. It's <laughs> it's G U N like gun. Yeah. W I N like win. Y G U A N. So Gunwin Gon? Gunwinagon? But it's a linguistics group. It, yeah, it's like a How it's an Aborigine linguist like Okay. There's all these smaller tribes or yeah. smaller groups. This is like all how you know like how french spanish portuguese and italian all came from latin they're the latin english like latin linguistic group so there's like a root there's like an origin and then they just kind of develop yeah, in their own okay. things that's what they, this is the group this okay, is okay cool yeah this is not the specific thing the they're part of, point yeah so uh this is from their website mirar.net they got mm. the, they got guys our tribe name, it's open as a URL. Take it, take it. Uh, <laughs> Mirar country is a stunning place. Most Mirar land is within the World Heritage listed Kakadu National, it's K-A-K-A-D-U, National Park, including the vibrant wetlands of the Jabaluki Billabong country. <laughs> yeah, Australia, you're just opening yourself up to that. I'm sorry. And the stunning s- sandstone inscrapement of... Inscrapement, not in inscrapement. Inscrapment. What's a wait? What's the difference between scrape and script? It was an accident. It's like a big land, but okay. This is I'm going before I even pronounce it. I'm going to spell you this word, this this landmark, and I want you to understand my pain. What are you explaining again? I'm just going to spell this uh, mountain's name for you, real quick. Okay. Okay. So this is the traditional uh, Aborigine name for this mountain, Mm -hmm. spelled out. D J I D B I D J I D B I. Mm, that could be a good spelling bee. <laughs> I wouldn't I, get I, it, but <laughs> I, I, I don't even know how. Digibidjibi? Digibooty? Digibooty? Yeah, I mean, that's that a country. Ha- that is a country. Okay. I remember that in uh, elementary school, but <laughs> Digibidjibi, or, <laughs> or for everyone who wasn't born in this area, Mount Brockman. <laughs> <laughs> the, the white man came and was like, nope, I'm not going to even try. I'm just going to name it Brockman over there. Uh, hey, what's your name? Brockman. Right, that's the name of the mountain over there. Uh, the Mirar Estate. That didn't happen. The guy that named it was named Brockman. Pretty much, yeah. Who's, who are we I'm doing the expedition for? I'm not going to look at a mountain for? and just be like, what's your, like Paul, we're going to name this after you. Screw you. This is going to be my mountain. It's my mountain. You go find your own fucking mountain. <laughs> I love the places named in spite. Those are the best places. Uh the Mirar Estate extends beyond Kakadu to Western Arhine Land, and also includes, and also includes the Ranger Uranium Mine. Oh dang! Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about the mine, uh, the Jabaluki Mineral Lease, and the mining town of Jabaro. They must make 
money off that? Like, I got it's, it's a little How bit of like, a back and forth. Okay. I'll explain. Okay. But, so the sen- senior traditional owner and the leader of the Mirar people is a woman by the name of Yvonne, Yvonne uh, Margarula. Okay. Uh, she's kind of a badass. She is on the website a couple times. Okay, The cool. Mirar helped establish the Gunjaheim Aborigine Corporation. They are just throwing as many terrible <laughs> pronunciation they're like yeah fuck those guys they're not going to be able to fucking pronounce that they're gonna look like assholes in front of us uh in 1995 to represent the rights and interests of the mirror people uh in 2010 the corporation had six full-time staff but by 2017 the organization had grown to over 50 so Woo! they're blowing the That's fuck up. pretty good yeah the Mejebe Mejebe site was first documented <laughs> by researchers in the 1970s as part of the Alligator Rivers Environmental Fact-Finding Study. Yes, very important. And um, I I want you to come around and see this. This is the okay. Mirar fact sheet. I would like you to look at the Mirar fact sheet. <laughs> it says on the Mirar fact sheet, there are no resources in this category. <laughs> And that is on the Mirar website. So, so they got no facts. Th- there is no fun facts. There is no fact sheet. There are no resources. This isn't fun. If you want <laughs> to no, come here, you're just yeah. miserable to begin with. <laughs> Could you tell me some facts about your people? No. <laughs> There's none. It's all lost. <laughs> so I was trying to do some more. but uh, So this is the that web, that uh, not website, but that national park, uh, Kaka, Kakadu National Kaka Park. Me, Kaka you, yeah, Kaka Kakadu. It's K-A-K-A-D-U. Uh, <laughs> again, I feel like this is not on me at this point. Yeah. For, <laughs> I'll try. I'm trying. So uh, National Park, it covers an area of just over 7,600 square miles mm-hmm. uh, and is about almost 120 miles from north to south and over 100 kilometers, so a little over 62 miles from east to west. From the About Us website for the National Park, mm-hmm. they listed, and this is verbatim, quote, that's nearly the s- half the size of Switzerland. <laughs> so, a- as you know, the normal unit of measurement for area is a Switzerland. So, yeah. th- this this <laughs> National Park is one half Switzerland. It's pretty big. <laughs> I guess, yeah. yeah. Not as much Nazi gold and chocolate in our park, but <laughs> it's almost as big. So... Since the late 1970s, the Kakadu's traditional owners... Kakawoo. Kakawoo, Owners have leased their land to the director of national parks, so kind of like how our national park system, you know, here in America that we have, that's mm-hmm. the Australian equivalent. Okay. Uh, to cool, be nice. Ju- yeah, to be jointly managed as a national park. So joint management is about the local tribes or local aborigine groups, the Beniji and... Mungai, it's literally M-U-N-G-G-U-Y, so Mungai, mm-hmm. I hope, uh, and the Parks Australia working together, solving problems, sharing decision-making, and exchanging knowledge, skills, and information. <laughs> that is a PR firm writing that so <laughs> <Yeah>. much. <laughs> no, it needs to be knowledge, skills, and information. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this area, this national park, is located within the Alligator Rivers region of the Northern Territory. Okay. So we have our states here in America, you know, a lot of them are named after local, like, native tribes or places around the world. In Australia, they're like, all right, Southwest Territory, that's the name of it. All right, there we go, North Territory, that's the name of the state. Okay. That's pretty much it. It's like, all right, it's either named after Britain 
or the physical location. That's our mm-hmm. that's our options right there. So, the state <laughs> is Northern Territory, which is a terrible name. Yeah. I, it's very self-explanatory, but it's very boring at the same time. <laughs> So, yeah, this is located in the Alligator Rivers region. Oh, yeah, that place. <laughs> oh, I love that place. Yeah. <laughs> I actually do love that place. But there's four major rivers in the system. Okay. All right, get ready. The East Alligator River. Okay, I can the, remember that. The West Alligator River. The Wicked. The West. So we got the East Alligator, the West Alligator, the South Alligator River. And <laughs> can you guess the fourth al- the fourth river? Um, Let me see. We went to east, west, south. Uh, I'm going to go north. Ooh, I'm sorry. The fourth one is the Wildman River. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. It, <laughs> they have three of that. the four directions and then the Wildman River. Fuck oh, it. Damn. So <laughs> I was trying to think of something. <laughs> you don't need to come answer. up with something yeah. funny because this is fucking insane. And it only gets more crazy <laughs> because the founder of, or the finder, not founder, but mm-hmm. the first the first white guy to find this area. <laughs> of course. Uh, named Philip Parker King, which is... <laughs> Very close to Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, in Eng- I mean, he's Philip Parker, so I feel like he probably has a brother named Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Peter Parker King. He's probably not Spider-Man. He's Man-Spider. Man Spider. <laughs> I'm Man-Spider. Uh, he is an English navigator, as you can guess by his name, who entered this area, the Gulf of Carpentaria, mm-hmm. uh, between 1818 and 1822. During this time, he named the three alligator rivers after the large amount of animals that he had seen. Mm. But there's a problem. So he thought he was seeing alligators. Mm -hmm. They weren't alligators. They were crocodiles. Oh, shit. No alligators outside of a zoo live in Australia. Okay. (laughs) So this entire region of the alligator rivers contains zero alligators. That's hilarious. They were all crocodiles, (laughs) and he thought he had seen alligators. (laughs) That's so funny. That makes so much sense, too. It's so fucking dumb. (laughs) So, okay. <laughs> the Alligator River, which contains zero alligators, yeah. uh, I found this. It's designated as a, quote, important bird area by BirdLife International. So, okay. that area, fuck those birds. That area, those birds are important. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, this is like kind of what you were talking about with the art. Uh, mm. There are more than 5,000 recorded art sites okay. in the, the National Park illustrating uh aborigine culture over thousands of years so Mm. some of them are more quote unquote recent than others they're still extremely old thousands Mm. of years old but there's even fucking older ones there and they're like all right those are the junior class that's the senior class uh the aborigine ancestors here in this area were Mm. hunter gatherers Uh, as the seasons changed they would move around this park to find food and comfort they're like "Eh, you know what it's getting wintertime. I think we need to emigrate north. We're snowbirds. It's getting a little warm down here. There were no permanent settlements, but would use favorite camping areas for many generations. So okay. we're going to go around. We're, we're just going to hang out. Uh, temporary dwellings uh, such as stringy bark and paper bark shelters <laughs> near billabongs. They, what are these? I, I think bill, billabong has to be a term <clears throat> besides just a company. Billabong. Everything is about the company. Okay. But let me check. Billabong. Oh, it's like a like a small river, like a stream. Why can't you call them streams, Australia? Look at that billabong <laughs> over there. Um, so, yeah, they would bu- build s- huts and these use, like, materials like bark to make these shelters by rivers. Nice. Okay. Uh, and they were built on stilts 
because this was floodplain territory. Oh, so okay. if you didn't, you swamp would, lands or yeah, you would be swamped up. It's wet and it's warm and wet there, like we said. <laughs> uh, archaeological sites demonstrate the occupation of Aborigines here for at least twenty thousand years, and some going back for up to forty thousand years. So oh, more po- more like presence growing over 20,000 years, hopefully. Uh, about 500 original Aborigine people still live in the park. Okay. Uh, living in 18 outstations dotted throughout the area. I don't know what an outstation is. I yeah. guess it's just a camp. Okay. But um, <clears throat> the whole park, it was declared in stages uh, starting in the 1970s. That's when Australia seems to be like, hey, maybe we should stop killing all our Aborigine people and kind of celebrate them. Yeah, uh, they were, idea. Yeah, national parks for conservation and recognizing the lands of Aborigines were really big. Uh, Kakadu was chosen to recognize Gagyuju. <sighs> These words. <laughs> uh, an Aboriginal language which used to be spoken in the park. And then in 1981, it was made a UNESCO World Heritage Site. They were like, okay. you know what? These alligators. No, wait, they're not alligators. Well, anyway, <laughs> it's still important here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like I mentioned a little bit earlier, there's a uranium mine. Oh, yeah. In this national park. I found... They're going back to the future? They need it. Yeah. <laughs> Marty! Marty! Uh, we must go to Australia! Yeah. <laughs> Take the DeLorean across the ocean real quick. Yeah. Just throw trash in it. Um, <laughs> I found a little bit about the, the mine. Uh, I found the early origins of this mine so detailed that I can only imagine that it was someone who was in this plane yeah. describing this incident that I'm, I'm going to quote They here. just took the time to beat, like, to well, write everything down in There's detail. no way someone who wasn't there could present these details. Okay. And let me just, I'll present it. And this is like a journal? Like, yeah, like history theater, pretty much. This is, this is... Do uh, we know who wrote, wrote it, or is it just... I don't know who exactly wrote it. I found it off a source I found. Okay. But, like, I suspect it's someone who was involved because it's just so detailed. I'll get into it. Okay. Breakfast was bad first story oh, of the day. It's even more detailed. Okay. The Ranger Uranium Ore Body, the richest in the Southern Hemisphere. Okay, first, before this, imagine basically Paul Hogan, the Crocodile Dundee guy, yeah. is reading this. Because this is who I imagine is okay. an outback bushwhacker. You know, he's killed a couple of those alligator slash crocodile guys. Okay. Uh, he, he's very rugged. Not like a humble Steve Irwin. We're no, going through like well, a... Ma- wait, wait, you're talking about a ma- like a made-up character for a movie, a ma- right? Made-up character, pretty much. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, very rugged I can individual. See it, yeah. Writing this uh, 15 years later with a, a whiskey in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand. Okay. The Ranger or Uranium Ore Body, the richest in the Southern Hemisphere, was discovered in late 1969 when an aerial radiometric survey conducted by the Geophysical Research Development Corporation, a company based in Sydney, on contract to Noranda Aluminum, Inc., detected a large spike in gamma radiation when passing over Mount Brockman, also known as Dijibijibi, (laughs) to the Mirar traditional owners of the area. The instrument that detected the anomaly was a nuclear enterprise gamma ray spectrometer using a thallium doped sodium iodine cylindrical crystal. I don't even know what all that is. Me neither. Literally, like I said, (laughs) you could only be on that plane if you knew this. 
At the time of the discovery, the aircraft was flying at an altitude of 100 meters. The anomaly could still be detected at almost 3,000 feet. The aircraft was a Britain Norman Islander registered VH-FLE. The crew members on board were Billy Hay, the pilot, Harvey Morton, the navigator, and Frank Lanza, the instrument operator, it's that actually first recognized names, you know the significance I mean? of the anomaly. So, yeah, it's literally... Bill, Harvey, or Frank yeah, wrote that. pretty because, solid pr- porn star names. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of those had to write it because who the fuck else knew yeah. all this stuff? <laughs> how fu- how high were you flying? All right. Could I get the registration on that plane right there? Yeah. Like, <laughs> only they could know this. So I was like, who? It's so detailed. Uh, so the the deposit, well, we'll, we'll go over this real quick because okay. it, it's really badass what Yvonne does. So the uranium deposits, the Ranger, the Jabluki, and the... Kungara, they keep throwing fucking curveballs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> were never included in the original boundaries of the park. They they were outside the range. Okay. Uranium. This is a quote I found. Uranium mining was imposed on the Mirar in the late 1970s, and people would still prefer if it had never come to their country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that was Yvonne's m- br- m- father saying that. So this is a quote from her. Yvonne says with the mining, the promises never last, but the problems always do. That's a badass quote right there. I like that. <laughs> I like that one. Her father's opposition, along with that of other local Aborigine people, were overruled by the federal Australian government when it legislated or legislated the development of the Ranger Mine in 1976. Ranger commenced operations four years later in 1980, and now the mine is owned by Energy Resources Australia, which is owned by Rio Tinto, which if you ever see a news article talking about a controversial mine project, they're behind it. So they started here a long time ago. Uh, This is a good quote I found uh, from... Random question. Yes, Do you know how dangerous that kind of mining is? Uh, Like... For the is idea it? of explosion, it it's yeah. not any more dangerous than like normal mining, but just mining in general being extremely dangerous. I feel like it definitely does that. But yeah, then the radioactivity stuff is yeah. probably a good thing. But yeah, it's, it's uranium has to have a thing like a process done to it to become a like atomic explosion okay. kind of thing. Like yeah, it's I was I went through that phase in my life where I was super into that kind of stuff. Basically when I was playing Fallout. Oh, uh, so this is great a game. Yes. This is a quote from Yvonne, I believe. I think yeah, it was from her. Uh, quote, as traditional landowners, the Mirar bear responsibility for the impacts that activities on their land has on others. The possibility of uranium from Mirar lands being incorporated into a nuclear weapon or present at the site of a nuclear accident is therefore of enormous concerns to the Mirar. Despite assurances from successful governments that Australian uranium is only sold for nuclear power, the fact remains that it is impossible to guarantee Australian uranium does not end up in nuclear weapons so <laughs> totally fair 100% support it yeah. though what I will say is so far so good yeah. yeah so far there hasn't been any nuclear weapons or and I feel like the one accident even then they would be like all right it was an earthquake yeah. uh, so so far so good right there that's what I will respond okay. to besides that I totally agree uh, <laughs> the oh yeah the Kungara uranium deposit is very close to the world famous new largey rock where thousands of visitors view ancient rock art, so maybe this is the one you were talking mm. about, the area is important in traditional storylines that include the Rainbow Serpent and Lightning Man. So uh, so this is their 
mythology theology yeah this is their kind of like theology like so the you know like in christianity there's the essential i just remember seeing it like on some kind of documentary yeah like a while ago history channel or Mm -hmm. travel channel documentaries uh jeffrey lee is the senior traditional owner of the jacques clan (laughs) djok which is a sweet you know dj name djok (laughs) but that's how you spell it and speaks for the kongara Jeffrey has long resisted promises of wealth and remained firm in his commitment to care for the land. Hmm. Uh, Jeffrey asked the federal government to protect Kungara once and for all by including it in the national park, stating, when you dig a hole in that country, you are killing me. I don't worry about money at all. (laughs) Which I feel like is pretty haunting words for later things to happen. I don't worry about money at all. And then five (laughs) years later, he's begging somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Just don't. The first part, just keep it. Just keep it. Um, so we're kind of wrapping up our thing on uh, Aborigine Australians at the time of European contact. So this is going to be the sixteen early 1600s to 1700s. Mm. Uh, there was an estimate of about 250 different Aborigine lang- languages on the continent. So how I'm fucking up all these l- words so far, that's why. Because there was, at one point, 250 languages on Ooh, this continent. Okay. Uh, some arguments about what counts as a separate language or what's a dialect happen Mm -hmm. so that's why it's estimated to be about 250 because sometimes you know is it a separate language if we go down to like alabama and don't know what the fuck they're talking about because of their accent is that a new language or is that a dialect those kinds of questions (laughs) uh aborigines are genetically the most similar to the indigenous populations of papua new guinea so the people like right above them and then there's a decreasing amount of similarity as the closer you get to asia okay it makes sense the farther you kind of move from, I assume, where they went, uh-huh. the less related you're going to be. Uh, s- this suggests Australia was isolated for a long time from the rest of Southeast Asia and was really kind of not migrated to and didn't really have a population expansion or connection like other people. For some reason, this island just was not included. It just was a bi- it was a big open area with not a lot of people at the time. So, mm. yeah. Uh, Australia, yeah, it's so weird because Australia primarily stayed in what's called a pre-Neolithic society. Okay. So that just means they're mainly hunter-gatherers. There's not a lot of permanent... For like the longest time. Yeah, there's not a lot of farming or the animal husbandry isn't stationary. They're not like setting up a cow farm or whatever that's related for that. Um, Yeah, there's some permanent agriculture and living, but not enough to convince people maybe we should settle down here and you know just take up roots i love this land <laughs> there was not a lot of that the weirdest thing is new guinea pr- progressed to the neolithic period and to all the coming periods so the bronze the iron whatever with no issue mm-hmm. and they're not that far apart so it's very weird what happened in australia that they didn't get any by you know any effects of that happening mm. so yeah it's very weird uh the Aborigines, a lot of them follow a six-season time frame for the year, uh, or defined by observable, observable changes to the environment. So it's getting really dry and sticky out. Oh, it's a new season. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, drying seasons lasting, uh, varying from as few as three to as many as 11 months. It's <laughs> If a drying period is 11 months, that's a drought. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's not a season. <laughs> yeah. That's a problem. Yeah, that's, a, that's an issue. <laughs> Uh, and they live mainly at this time by hunting and trapping a variety of game, including 
kangaroos and wallabies. <laughs> they literally <laughs> mentioned kangaroos and wallabies. And I'm like, all right, well, I, I can't not mention kangaroos and wallabies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was trying to find important dates, like events. Okay. Things kinda... that happened in Aborigine history, like you know how we can talk about like the is Egyptian... it like all orally spoken or That's whatever it's never there, written down there was not and okay. the, the things that were written down it's hard to connect to actual events so okay i couldn't find like a big dynasty or whatever so the thing that i'm trying to re- reference even though i can't reference yeah. um from like you know for the paintings i was trying to figure out earlier is like i think actually crap this might be like pfft, fuck like world religions and like high school that i'm trying to figure this out but like, oh, yeah. like since like the the weird thing about oral spoken religions is like they don't really change that all. I might be completely wrong. Anybody listening yeah. to this, please comment on our <laughs> please um, do, Instagram please. and correct me. But like, if Just I'm wrong, correct me. Mail. But from what I remember, it's like oral relig- um, religions like they they just don't change with the details they're the the people speaking them have them so well down in their heads that There's they make they make sure whoever, of it, yeah, yeah they make sure whoever they're gonna pass it down to has it memorized too. Yeah, there's those kinds of systems. I mm-hmm. feel that. So yeah, I was I was trying to find like maybe a story of those two. Yeah. But a lot of that they it would be in the mythology or the the theology stuff. So when I would look up important dates, I would get holidays like in modern okay. Australia. Yeah. And I would like to let <laughs> I like to mention these two because I feel like they're kind of the same, but I don't okay. know why they're separate dates. So February thirteenth is Nash or is Apology Day. So February 13th is Apology Day, so you find your local Aborigine and just go, sorry, and then you walk away. <laughs> uh, or you I, can just, like, uh, cause oh, a bunch yeah. of shit. Yeah. Like, you, just start you go a up fire. and say, hey, my bad. And just start a bi- billy on fire, cr- like a crowd starts collecting, just be like, my bad, whoops. Sorry. But it's Apology Day, uh, so yeah. how fitting. My bad. <laughs> well, you can't say sorry because May 26th, so not even six months later, yeah. is National Sorry Day. Wait, what? Yeah, what are na- the two holidays then? So the first one is Apology Day, and the second one is National Sorry Day, and they're both about like the treatment of Aborigines. Oh! <laughs> the funniest duh. thing to me, though, is the fact that they're front-loaded in the first half of the year, mm-hmm. in February and May. It's not like, all right, we got one in April, then let's throw one in November so they mm-hmm. know we're still sorry yeah, about yeah. it. It's, okay, we're going to do it twice in the first half of the year, and then they should <laughs> they should know for the rest of the year yeah. we're still sorry about it. It's maintained. It's somewhat of a habit. You know, they should, they should know. <laughs> so that finishes our part on the Aborigines. And nice. We're not done with the episode quite yet because... I wanted to just find out the original plan was the first season was going to be getting to Australia, the discovery mm-hmm. of Australia, but I can't paddle that lawn in a canoe. Yeah, no, it that's all I can afford time. to sail the Pacific in. is a long ways away. I'm not a good canoeer. I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, so I found a lot of conspiracy theories about who discovered Australia mm-hmm. and aliens. That's one of them. Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure a lot of people were thinking that, but I'm not saying I'm serious about it. It's just, Anything conspiracy. Aliens. Aliens. Aliens or uh, the devil. You know who built the pyramids? Aliens. Aliens. You know You know who made the first beef Wellington? Yeah. Aliens. Oh, yes. You know who opened the first Wendy's? <laughs> aliens. Oh. <laughs> Dave Thomas. The alien. Wait, uh, wait, who's Dave Thomas? Dave Thomas was the founder of Wendy's and I think he helped out with KFC as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. I think, oh, the first Wendy's is like. 
in Maybe. Ohio where I used to live when I was old. It's that area. Bit lad, yeah. So we have a couple conspiracy theories of who discovered Australia. And aliens. It's not to spoil <laughs> it. It is aliens. Um, and one Are of you them. Serious? No. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but one of them is even crazier of a theory. It's okay. even better. So uh, the first couple, there are a couple. Lizard people. <laughs> well, they would Sorry. come way later. They would come way later. <laughs> They they're they're not around until two thousand. No, uh, so th the first the first people to claim to find Australia mm -hmm. is hard to tell because ever if you think of a major power in history, at some point they've claimed. Yeah, we found Australia first. That was us. That was yeah. us. Uh, China claims that their famous Admiral Zen, who was coming from some dynasty, yeah. not, not the Wu Tang <laughs> Dynasty, I assume, he discovered Australia. Not a lot of evidence for it. France. They have a claim. They claim that Navigator Binot, it's B-I-N-O-T, it's so by mm. not, <laughs> Navigator <laughs> by not, Palmier de Gonneville, Gonneville, claimed to have landed at a land he described as east of the Cape of Good Hope. So the Cape of Good Hope is at the bottom part of Africa. Okay. So east of it. Makes uh, sense. He said he landed on a land east of the Cape of Good Hope in 1504 after being blown off course. For some time, it was thought he had landed in Australia. Okay. But the place that he landed has now been shown to be Brazil. <laughs> That's not even close. Not that. even close, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. They said they had rainforests here. It's huge. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, not even close. It's not even like you landed in India or yeah. above. No, total opposite <laughs> direction. <laughs> so good yeah Ooh. which for, for reference is northwest of the cape not southeast of well, the cape. his his compass was just completely broken yeah. oh no he had it upside down yeah he, he was holding it upside down the whole time he's like oh, we're going north guys i don't think we're going north oh my god what if that's actually the case that'd be so good oh god imagine to be the like the you know second in command or whatever is like i'm not sure we're going the right way we're going the right way i think we found a new place everybody on the boat's like fuck it let's just keep going uh, so this brings us to the final kind of uh theory the, the the main big theory which is aliens aliens close the portuguese no <laughs> i love the portuguese <laughs> That's mean. No, oh, God. That was mean. good thing we don't live in Providence. Isn't, wait, isn't like the definition of alien out of this country, or is it? Something it's like out of your area or whatever. Because okay. there's like unalienable rights or whatever. Mm -hmm. but, uh, so this is called the quote pro-Iberian Australian discovery theories, which is a long way of saying people from Spain and Portugal claiming they found Australia. So, in the first episode, I'd like to give a shout-out. Shout-out to everybody. Shout-out to a gentleman by the name of Dennis Gojak. Dennis! Dennis! So, he did a great project uh, in work for his PhD at the University of Sydney. Cool. Uh, and the project is called the Secret Visitors Project. I normally like to find more authentic... Secret Visitors, can I guess what the project is? It's a history project, yes. right? Yes, boom, got it. Um, but like, so I'm, I'm assuming all the people that could have been so there it's, in Australia, it, right? It's kind of that. It, so I, like I was saying, I, I normally wouldn't take like, so this is a WordPress blog. I ah. normally won't take this and talk about it in the episodes. I like to find like straight academic published sources, but this, yeah. this guy is working on his PhD at the university of Sydney. 
I stalked him and found him on LinkedIn, and he actually went there. This is a real person. You have a LinkedIn account? I unfortunately do, but I don't use it. Not unfortunately, but good for you. <laughs> uh, I get into fights with my parents about that. But <laughs> his project was on pseudo-archaeology in Australia, so fake archaeology. So basically, you know all those alien pseudo? pseudo like pseudoscience and all that? Yes, exactly. Oh, so you know how all those theories about aliens and stuff like that? Yeah. That's pseudo-archaeology. Okay. So this gentleman is dedicating this whole blog this to whole, aliens it, to debunking something similar to that these theories of who discovered australia that are totally so BS. he's debunking he's debunking BS his, theories yes that's why i'm using his source okay he, cool he, he did okay. that yeah he's a at the time of writing this um he is a part-time doctoral candidate at the department of archaeology at the university of sydney uh so he's doing this to <laughs> got help. really excited there <laughs> hey, yeah. shout outs to some guy going for you know some fun shit here mm-hmm. um few things to note here so like I said, this is the pro-Iberian theory. Woo. Uh, few to almost no Portuguese explorers or historians claim this theory really at all. Mm-hmm. It's mainly British and Australians, like guys, mm-hmm. who are trying to be contrarians and like be those what-if, what-if kinds of guys in history. Mm-hmm. The, the people who, the, the talking heads on the ancient alien show, mm-hmm. that's who these guys kind of would be. Okay. So, and that's it, what I was thinking at the beginning, yeah, too. Okay, yeah. this, imagine this entire show, the guy with the crazy hair, but it's about Australians arguing about weird things. So okay. It didn't really become an idea or a theory or anything until the 19th century. So the entire time of the Portuguese Empire, no one was like, yeah, we discovered Australia. It was afterwards that a bunch of British guys were like, hmm, perhaps, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and the reason it started was literally because of some weird maps, some weirdly ornate maps mm-hmm. uh, that everyone knew was wrong, but they were like, eh, maybe they're not. Uh, <laughs> these maps, they're called the Dieppe maps. Uh, they're kind of infamous. Uh, they were produced in the coastal French town mm-hmm. of Dieppe. It makes sense why they're called the Dieppe maps. Uh, in the 1540s to the 1560s, so mid-16th century, Dieppe lies at the mouth of the Arcos River, and it's famous for its scallops. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I love my French scallops. Uh, they better be pretty damn good scallops. Pre- I mean, they would be These on the French scallops gen- are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay just slamming scallops. (laughs) Uh, The mouth of the Ski River lies in the canton of Dieppe Oust at Hot sur Mer. That sentence made no sense, but uh, someone (laughs) will know what it means. (laughs) No, it just means the river is in this area. Uh, And that's how they get all the fucking scallops and why it became kind of a trade town for these maps. Mm. Uh, For the time when these maps were made in the mid-16th century, they were highly regarded uh, for their handmade quality and the people who were buying them, they... A bunch of rich, you know, royal people were buying them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could think of these as similar to if you're, you know, on Instagram or you're you're going to Ikea and they have that really cool kind of map that isn't 100% accurate, but you can put it on your wall and it looks hip and trendy. Yep. That's the equivalent of that right now. Ah, nice. Uh, these maps, they spawned a new style of cartography, so the making of maps and study of it. Uh characterized by more thought of, they should be more thought of as works of art and not mm. accurate maps no one is bringing these out on yeah. their ship well that one french guy brought it out on his ship and he ended up in brazil and he's like ah oh, son of a bitch <laughs> this map are you fucking kidding me um yeah so it clearly intended to be spread out on a table 
and just kind of ogled at when you have friends over you're like hey check out my sweet map look at it it has all the cool things on it. look at it uh yeah containing information on the latest discoveries with some mythological references and illustrations oh cool so like i said it's very much a piece of art thing yeah. to look at and share instead of all right we're gonna go down to south africa and i need to know how to get there <laughs> you're not using this for maritime travel mm-hmm. um most of the dfa maps and depict a large kind of land area entitled Java Le Grande or... That sounds like a great drink from Spar- Starbucks. It really does. I'll take the Java Le Grande, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> LB 1995, please. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, or the Tierra de Loque, Loque uh, depending on what part of it, um, uh, Europe you're really from, uh, between what is now Indonesia and Antarctica. So there's this giant part of land here. Mm that they called Java La Grande, that it's not really Java. That, spoiler alert, it's not Java La Grande. So Java La Grande first came from an error in one of Marco Polo's like travels. A mistake? Yeah, so one of his books, an error in translation came to be Java La Grande. Okay. That's how they got this name. Java Minor, that's a real island, that's Sumatra, uh-huh. pales in comparison to Java Major or Java La Grande is what Marco was thought to be the largest island in the world. He's like, whoa, look at that thing over there. Whoa, (laughs) Java La Grande. There we go. All right, we're good. Uh, So that's where this idea of Java La Grande comes in, is him making a reference in one book and someone mistranslating it. He's like, all right, that's a new (laughs) landmass over there. Yeah, like I said, the smallest things get blown up into these big Mm, things. It is just a game of telephone that needs to stop. (laughs) Exactly. Franco-Portuguese navigator, what is it, Jean, I guess Jean Alphonse, in his 1544 work, La Cosmographia, uh, (laughs) yeah, you know what, The Cosmograph, that's a great name for this book, Mm. very simple, they know what they're getting. Java Major, according to him, was part of the continent of Terra Australis, which extended as far as the Antarctic Pole and the Strait of Magellan, so it's the taint of the world, people. <laughs> it's the taint of the world. It's literally going from the tip of South America all the way around to Indonesia. The taint of the, taint the, world, of the world, ladies and gentlemen. Terra Australis. <laughs> so this is where we're going to fly ahead a couple centuries to the British guys. The guys nice. who are creating this idea of the Iberians discovering Australia. Mm. The first guy, great name here, R.H. Major. <laughs> Keeper of Maps at the British Museum. Damn. That's a fucking title right yeah, there. Yeah, I like that title. I, yeah, no, R.H. Major. All the titles you told me in the past, I actually know what that is. Like, <laughs> Imagine that, like, just meeting him at a party. R.H. Major, Keeper of the Maps at the British Museum. Well, I can't top that, so I'm I'm Paul, douchebag. <laughs> I'm loser. <laughs> so in 1859, uh, he first made significant efforts to prove that the Portuguese visited Australia before the Dutch did. Because the Dutch are the first kind of people to land on Australia mm-hmm. and say, hey, I, I don't think this goes all the way to the other side of the world. Yeah. <laughs> they are the first to discover that. Um, he used the Dieppe maps as his main evidence. He was like, those maps that were used as art are definitely reliable in here. Uh, so that was in 1859 that he started doing that. But by 1873, so... 
15-ish years later, just about, he published a major retraction, uh, but his reputation was already destroyed. He was like, mm. I was wrong, and no <laughs> one believed him. Uh, two decades later or so, George Collinridge, uh, he was a just a British writer, no fancy title for him. He wrote the book The Discovery of Australia, which this time made for... It was made more for public reading. Mm -hmm. The last one from major. It was mainly more academically oriented. This one was for everyone to read. Mm. Uh, and again, it was on the why, why the Dutch did not discover Australia. At this time, <laughs> Australia, or England and the Dutch really did not like each other. So I okay. feel like they were like, we need to delegitimize those fuckers any way okay. we can. The one and thing remind me, what's this time again? Uh, this is like the eighteen late 1800s, early 1900s, so Damn. about 20 years before World War One. <laughs> this is the thing leading to it. Shit, that's not that long ago. Yeah, no, this is this is mo this is the most recent thing we're probably going to talk about in the, this first season, at least, just okay. because of how insane it is, and it's like a true crime theater. Uh, so his book was a remarkable effort, considering it was written at a time when maps and documents were not really accessible. You really mm. couldn't get in like they didn't you couldn't pull up a website yeah uh photography was very new at this time so you really couldn't get good photos oh, shit. uh his theory though did not find public approval everyone is like shut the fuck up and <laughs> whatever uh professors publicly criticized what he had written and he produced a shorter version of the book for use in schools in Australia. Nice. But it wasn't used. They were like, no, thank you. Ah, That's fuck. okay. We don't need your book. <laughs> we're good. Oh, really? Yes. Dang. So, so that was all that kind of, that brings us to this gentleman by the name of Kenneth Gordon McIntyre. He is a much more recent man. He was born in 1910. He is an interesting gentleman. So first he graduated from Geelong College as Dukes, D-U-X, Dukes, mm -hmm. of the school in 1926. So he's 16. He's already doing well. He's graduating from school. He's like, whew, survived World War One. That was pretty nice. <laughs> Things are looking pretty clear here in Europe for the next 20, 25 years. No war, sir. <laughs> he then, you know, graduating and shit like that, he served as a lawyer, uh, a university lecturer, and a mayor. Uh-huh in uh, Australia until 1956. So he moved. Uh, he, he was originally, I believe, born in England? I believe so. Uh, don't quote me on that too much, but he's doing a lot of shit. He's a lawyer. He's a lecturer. He's a mayor. He's doing a lot of stuff. until Got many hats. Yeah. So he's 46. Uh, he's 46. It's 1956, so it's the middle of, you know, the roaring 50s. Um, he has a change. He's like, mm -hmm. you know, I've been a lawyer. I've been a I've been a mayor, but you know what I need to do? I need to begin. I need to dedicate my entire life to investigating the Portuguese exploration of Australia. <laughs> this is a midlife crisis right here. Honestly, I do think that's pretty cool. Like, <laughs> hey, what's Dad up to? Oh, you know, just spending all his time discovering Portuguese yeah. found Australia again. <laughs> He's going out to the coast. Uh, his he does this for twenty. About 20 years. Shit. Well, he How does it he a lot. When he starts this? He was at 46. So like Ooh. I said, midlife crisis. He's 46 yeah. in the mid-50s. His main publication, the thing that kind of gets him a lot of interest, is uh, 1977, The Secret Discovery of Australia, hmm. uh, which expands on earlier ideas of a possible Portuguese exploration and mapping of Australia hmm. in the 1500s. Uh, 
uh, it became kind of a weird kind of cult popular book. Uh, became kind of well-known, but very conta- contentious. A lot of people were like, that's very interesting. And a lot of other people are like, that's fucking bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Um, <laughs> it, this book, unlike the other ones, it did find itself onto some school history reading lists by the mid 80s, uh, but not too many. Dr. Tony Disney. Hey, Tony. Nice. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Tony Disney. His nickname is Dr. Tony. No, I'm not related to him. Disney. Um, <laughs> I was thinking. Yeah, McIntyre's theory influenced a generation of history teachers in Australian schools. So he's saying this kind of ill theory influenced at least some people to start teaching it, which is never good. Mm. The Portuguese government awarded McIntyre the commander of the Order of Prince Henry the Navigator in 1983 for his work in researching and publicizing Portuguese exploration. Now, you're probably wondering, why is the Portuguese, why is the Portuguese government giving this Australian guy this, this medal here? It's because they were in the middle of a dictatorship, and they wanted to show very nationalist things. So yeah. they're like, this guy's telling us how great we are? Let's give him a fucking medal. Yeah. So I think this is the Instadio Nouve. So that's their new state, which <laughs> insane. The one time I've gone to Portugal, I mm-hmm. remember we were going to the airport with my uncle. Like, it was me, my two uncles and aunts. Mm-hmm. And just the way he phrased it, my uncle casually asked the taxi driver so do you remember growing up in the dictatorship oh my god <laughs> like it, like phrased differently first but question not the first question but okay. it was like a, we were going across town so we had like 25 30 minutes and it was just like how it got to the conversation and we were like wrong you kind of just like forced it in there like we were like you could ask him in a better way but yeah. he was like so do you remember the dictatorship we're like oh my god oh god <laughs> chill chill mcintyre's most significant contribution to Australian society, though, does not come from his literature or his writings. Rather, it comes from his interests in mathematics that led him to develop a system for managing the playoffs in what was then known as the Victorian Football League. This algorithm... Nice. <laughs> and this is, like, this is soccer, the same. Right? No, this is football. Like, Australia has their own version of, like, football that's separate from rugby. Really? Yeah, this is for that. It's a weird kind of thing oh shit cool yeah this algorithm developed by mcintyre determined which teams would compete in the grand finale (laughs) we have the super bowl they have the grand finale (laughs) (laughs) known as the mcintyre system it was first implemented in the 1931 vfl season and a version (laughs) of this system was used by the afl until 2000 (laughs) so what did he do he contributed to victoria australian football and then talked a bunch of bullshit about the portuguese yeah. That's a life well lived. <laughs> and that was eventually replaced in like the mid 2000s. Um, so it wasn't just it wasn't just Portugal who was this main theory, this main idea of who's who, call, who colonized Australia from Iberia. Mm-hmm. The other one was uh, Spain mm-hmm. uh, in the early 20th century. Lawrence Hargrave argued that Spain had established a colony in Botany Bay in the 16th century. So he's not just saying some schlub landed here and, you know, left. They they made a colony there. This guy will put anyone to shame. Uh, Hargrave was an Australian engineer, explorer, astronomer, inventor, and aeronautic pioneer. Uh, at age 22, mm-hmm. so we're in our mid-20s, at age 22, he was shipwrecked on a voyage in New Guinea. At 22, were you shipwrecked on any voyage? No. Not that I remember either. I know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So yeah. Probably can learn from this. Yeah. <laughs> shipwrecked, yes, comma, 
dead? No. But yeah. Uh, in 1885, at age 35, he became an aeronautical experimenter creating the box kite in 1893. The box kite? Yes, the box kite. So the so kites that are boxes, you know. That yeah, like, yeah. He, he helped, made that? He helped invent it, yes. That's cool. An engraving of Hargrave alongside some of his gliders, because he also made other aeronautical uh-huh. things, appeared on the reverse of the Australian $20 bill from 1966 <laughs> to 1994. We are bringing you the hard knowledge you need in this history podcast. <laughs> Um, Hargrave was the subject of a Barry Conningheim opera called Flight, which premiered in 1984. <laughs> no way, really. Yeah, so this guy had an opera called Fly, <laughs> and he was on a dollar bill, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> so, in the first episode, I'd like to give a shout-out. Shout-out to everybody. Shout-out to a gentleman by the name of Dennis Gojak. Dennis! Ho- Dennis! So, he did a great project uh in work for his phd at the university of sydney cool uh, and it, the project is called the secret visitors project i normally like to find more authentic secret visitors can i guess what the project is it's a history project yes right? boom got it secret. um but like so i'm i'm assuming all the people that could have been so there it's not really it, right it's kind of that so i like i was saying I, I normally wouldn't take like so this is a wordpress blog I oh. normally won't take this and talk about it in the episodes. I like to find, like, straight academic, published sources. But this yeah. ju- this guy is working on his Ph.D. at the University of Sydney. I stalked him and found him on LinkedIn, and he actually went there. This is a real person. you have a LinkedIn account? I unfortunately do, but I don't use it. Not unfortunately, but good for you. <laughs> uh, I get into fights with my parents about that. But <laughs> his project was on pseudo-archaeology in Australia, so fake archaeology. So basically, you know all those alien you said pseudo? shows? pseudo Like pseudoscience and yes, all that? Yes, exactly. Oh, so God. you know how all those theories about aliens and stuff like that? Yeah. That's pseudo-archaeology. Okay. So this gentleman is dedicating this whole blog. This to whole, aliens. It, to debunking Something similar to that. These theories of who discovered Australia that are totally so BS. he's debunking. He's debunking BS his, theories. Yes, that's why I'm using his source. Okay, because he, cool. He, he did okay. that. Yeah, he's a at the time of writing this. Um, he is a part-time doctoral candidate at the Department of Archaeology at the University of Sydney. Uh, so he's doing this to <laughs> got help. really excited there. <laughs> hey, shout outs to some guy going for you know some fun shit here. Mm-hmm. Um, the the guy we need to talk about that. Uh, the secret visitor project that Dennis actually went in on uh, mm-hmm. is this gentleman who I meant to talk about because he is actually the crazy guy. The other okay. guy, uh, what a, the VFL guy, he was he was kind of a he was kind of kooky guy. This guy, whew, he needs a, a Joe Exotic esque <laughs> series about his life. Dang. So his name and this this part. The other ones were Iberia, so Spain, Portugal. The other mm-hmm. the other claims were more. We're in like after 1400. Mm. This claim is way thousands of years before that, that someone found Australia. Nice. So this is from Ellis Alfred Robinson, or also known as Alan Robinson. Okay. He lived from 1928 to 1983. He was a pioneering scuba diver and shipwreck hunter in Western Australia during the 1960s and 70s. Okay. So when they say pioneering scuba diver, I just assume he was the first guy with a scuba tank on Western Australia. (laughs) Hey, I'm the first one. I'm a pioneer. Woo! (laughs) He was involved in the discovery of a couple big... Uh, ships that were found off the coast of Australia. Okay, so like in he the got water a, or whatever? Yeah. So he was uh, 
they discovered the Tyrell from 1622. The okay, these are all these are all Dutch names, so they don't make any sense. Okay, Vergudal Drake or Drake spelled wrong <laughs> from 1656, and the Zutdorp from 1711. <laughs> Z-U-Y-T-D-O-R-P. That's, a, that's the name of the ship. They looked at that name and was, yeah, that's a good name for this ship. <laughs> yep. There we go. So he found these ships and... He just spent so much time in that water. Yeah, just... Yeah. Just doing that. How much time was spent not finding ships? Damn it! There's nothing here! <laughs> uh, he was a controversial figure because... Finding these ships is actually pretty big for Mm -hmm. real historical evidence. People found that and worked on them. He was controversial, though, and his activities were a catalyst for the introduction of laws to protect maritime heritage. So he spawned the laws. Uh, His methods of recovery of materials included explosives. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, we cannot find the the shipwreck after you blew them up with dynamite. I I I feel like I shouldn't have to say don't blow up the shipwreck. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess I have to. Uh, this is a quote that comes from Mr. Din, uh, Dennis. Uh, For our purpose, it is not his colorful or unethical activities, but his claim to have found three pre-Dutch wrecks, a Phoenician trireme, a Chinese merchant ship, and a Spanish wreck that draws our attention. Yeah, so, that just sounds too good to be true. Yes, because the Phoenicians thing very very old those are pre you know bce shit uh <laughs> that's what it is uh really carthage those people oh, tire damn. yeah carthage was a settlement of the phoenicians going across the mediterranean and finding a new spot because they were getting forced out of the middle east damn that's how old they are they fought egypt but apparently they also discovered australia Ooh. so Robinson, he continued to look for wrecks, mm-hmm. uh, but was extremely hostile to any dealings with the West Australian authorities. <laughs> I will dynamite whatever ship I want, damn it. <laughs> his own accounts of his diving career is told in, is told in his self-published autobiography. Oh, God. Treasure is not for the finder. <laughs> a self-published autobiography is not a book. It's a manifesto. Yeah. <laughs> I do not self-publish autobiography. <laughs> you need a publisher for an autobiography. Yeah. That's the bare minimum. <laughs> so it's said in the beginning. I didn't read the book. Dennis did for me. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks, Dennis. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. Uh, this sets out what reads like a self-serving account of a man who, while he was impatient and didn't suffer fools, was always the victim of a bureaucracy and police force that was out to get him. <laughs> sound sound familiar or whatever? Yeah. Illegal if necessary, and to thwart his independence. <laughs> he would definitely fit in a couple states here in America. Oh my God, yes. If he did anything illegal himself, it's because the goalposts have been moved or because he had been pushed beyond his limits. (laughs) You're making me do this. (laughs) He trapped me in the corner. Yeah, just stop blowing shit up. That's it. You're making me do this. (laughs) As he's lighting the dynamite, you made me do this. Ah! The explosion goes off in the background. You did this to me. You did this. Others found him to be violent and erratic in character, willing to turn off friends when he stood to gain. <laughs> Quote, disappointed in his hopes of fame and fortune, 
Robinson engaged in years of conflict with authorities. A nuggety, articulate man <laughs> with a weathered... Wait, nuggety is a word? Yeah, nuggety. How do you use that? I'm going to start using it. Yeah. Wait, what uh, does it mean? I assume just like... Like, just problematic. Uh, mm. Are you just like gross chicken nuggets? I'm, I'm looking up nuggety. Nuggety. It's Australian. <laughs> <laughs> it's It literally says... Australian dash New Zealand origin. Oh God. Um, <laughs> okay. Stocky. Okay. It says it has two definitions. One occurring as nuggets. <laughs> okay, I guess. Yeah. And two of a person stocky or thick. So mm. he's fat. This person's got some. Yeah. Girth. He's a fat, articulate man with a weathered, pugilistic face. He seemed paranoid. <laughs> paranoid. Weird. Um, Robinson was forced to leave. Uh, Western Australia, <laughs> get out, please, <laughs> please, just leave. Uh, and spent some time in northern Queensland. Uh, police harassment continued. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, but he continued to dive and make a further claim for Spanish shipwrecks along the Queensland's coast. He's like, mm. no, I'm I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> you're making me do this. You're making me do this. <laughs> so we're talking, we can talk a lot about him, but we're going to focus on, on one specific story, that Phoenician tri-ring thing. Okay, so, let's go. We're going we're we're flying we're go we're taking a trip right now. We're we're going to 1969. You know, rock and roll is in its full swing. Mm-hmm. Woodstock. Not, Woodstock is going on in it's uh Western Australian Woodstock right mm-hmm. now. Uh I assume everyone has a beer just in hand mm-hmm. at all points. Uh we are in Derby, Australia, on the northwest coast of Western Australia. So this is like, if you think of Australia as like a cookie, as like an yeah. oval cookie, it's like the northwest part of it. Hmm. Uh, he, uh, like I said, this is the beginning of 1969. He's at a bar, and an old prospector named Shallow Well Charlie. Is this like a bar joke or something? No, this is not a bar joke. Yeah. This is a, this is written in his biography. This is him telling him. So I walk into a bar. I walk into a bar. No. <laughs> and then you walk into a bar and an old prospector walks yeah, up to you. <laughs> so this old prospector, and let me give you that name again because I feel like you didn't get it. Shallow Well Charlie. <laughs> That's what he lists. His name is Shallow Well Charlie. It's just shallow Paid guy. him a visit. So Charlie was a water diviner. So someone who... Digs wells, finds wells, and a well digger (laughs) who had prospected the area since the Great Depression. I've been on these lands for 40 years. (laughs) By the time of their encounter, Robinson estimated that he might have been around 90 years old. So, like you said, an old prospector walked up to him. (laughs) Charlie, shallow well Charlie, tells Robinson about a site around the area called Buccaneer Archipelago. So off the coast, there's this place called Buccaneer Archipelago. Mm. Uh, Charlie, uh, he, so he says, there's something about this site. There's something mm-hmm. about it. Charlie, he never did anything with the site. He, he never did anything with the find. Commenting, and this is a quote that is from the autobiography. Yeah. Quote, yep, no one has found it since, but someone sure was there before me. Great big hole dug in the side of Odat Hill. <laughs> Oh, sorry. It still goes on. Oh, God. (laughs) All overgrown round there with Bush now. Must have been a long time ago, eh? (laughs) What is A A really in there? Oh, A. Oh, God. (laughs) That's a great quote right there. Great big hole dug in the side of that hill. A. A. (laughs) Must have been a long time there, eh? (laughs) He's Canadian. No. (laughs) 
So this is Shadow Watcher. <laughs> Intrigued greatly. <laughs> really? There's a big hole. Ooh, let me go check that out. Alan chartered a flight for the location. He's like, I need to go check out this hole. So they get they get to the Buccaneer site here. From the air, they saw when they say they, I assume it's like Robinson and someone else. It's not mm-hmm. you wanna come with? You wanna come? Uh they saw the outline of a long, narrow, sunken vessel sticking out of the mud. So there's like, oh shit, there's something there's something there nice there in the mud and this is a quote from uh charlie or not charlie robinson robinson here (laughs) there in the mud was a strange outline small pips of mud seemed to be project above the surrounding to form a shape more like a banana than a ship (gasps) we found the giant banana (laughs) it was only about one sixth as wide as it was long but the contour was quite plain so there's, there's something going on there okay after their return to darby Robinson posted the artifact to quote America. <laughs> Literally, he said, "I sent it to America." Didn't give any specifics, but yeah, I I see on the address label you've listed it, America, sir. Anywhere in particular? No. <laughs> a no. A, a. <laughs> uh, to seek identification. Mm. No, no specific university or even a person. Just send it to America and be like, "There you go. There, take it." After his return, Perth. He uh, to Perth City. He re- obtained a response by registered letter. A passage from the letter is quoted, but Robinson does not name the institute to which he sent the artifact. He's like, I got a letter saying it's real. Who sent it back <laughs> to you? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Nobody. Uh, it, it so it it says that it's Phoenician origin and it's okay. possibly from a period of 700 to 200 BCE. Okay. So. It would be almost 2,000 years older than any other ship that had Mm. been found. Whoa, this is big. At present, we are not able to fully translate the text of the writing on the plate. This is being investigated by Professor Mason of our archaeological section, who will forward his findings at a later date. No one has ever been connected to being called, like, to this Professor Mason. Okay. He didn't list the <laughs> institute, so we can't say, oh, it's this Professor Mason. Oh, <laughs> so, really? So he just made up this person. Oh, yeah. my God. No Wait, further really? Cor- yeah, no further correspondence from the unnamed institution or Professor Mason is noted in Robinson's book. <laughs> he is making up so much shit right now. It is beautiful. Jesus. This is what you get when you self-publish an autobiography. Yeah. No one to edit it and be like, hey, you want to fact check this section? No. Nope. <laughs> totally happened. Robinson mentioned the wreck to... Dr. Ian Crawford, the then curator of anthropology at the West Australia Museum, which was in Derby, but, quote, Ian Crawford ignored him. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Oh, God, it's this guy again. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) What is it now? What is this? What is this bullshit now? Uh, Then he he was like, I'm, you're wrong. I'm not wrong. I'm going to another (laughs) museum. He then went to another Western Australian museum. Same results? Oh, yeah, a little bit. He, yeah. he went to, and he talked to the director, W.D.L. Ride. That's a cool name right there, yeah. W.D.L. Ride, of the find. Ride was dismissive. <laughs> Perhaps because of their earlier volatile encounters 
and this made Robinson walk out. <laughs> no, it's real. Mason told me. Mason told me. Oh my damn god, it. this is definitely Joe Exotic. Dude, like I said, this is a Joe Exotic <laughs> thing. No further evidence is presented regarding what he and Charlie found, and there is no mention of him ever revisiting that site. He's like, I found it. I don't need to go back. Why would I need to go back? There's, there's nothing more there. Uh, it's mentioned. And we might need to do a moment of silence for this, but Shallow Well Charlie died within a year of their previous meeting. No! <laughs> I, I, it's not mentioned, but I, I hope he died falling down a well. Yeah. <laughs> you live by the well, you die by the well. <laughs> uh, there is no mention of whether there is any further information from that institute or Mason, uh, which had received this bronze artifact with the mysterious writing. So there's like... No, no follow up. No, no research. No double checking here. Uh, Robinson. So the book eventually came out in 1980. That self-published autobiography uh, didn't really have all that much of an impact. Mm. Uh, Newspapers report of things later happening in his life a a couple years from now, but they don't mention that book specifically. Mm. But they do say that he authored like 20 books. Like over a dozen books. What? Yeah. I mean, they're probably all self-published ramblings. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's what I was thinking. um, The National Library of Australia and Western Australia only lists one. (laughs) Only lists one. So he didn't really get it. So near the end of his life, like in the late late 70s and early 80s. The cops are still getting I mean, everyone's after him. Yeah, in his mind. (laughs) The international cartel of shipwrecks is after me. (laughs) They can't... When Jesus came down to heaven, he said, you know, love thy neighbor, serve thy God, and it's okay to blow up shipwrecks with dynamite. That's, yeah. that's the third line. <laughs> People don't realize that. Uh, so the late 70s and early 80s get really stressful for him. Uh, 1979, mm-hmm. uh, his only son dies. And then what was already way too much of a hobby becomes an obsession with ship hunting and his wife leaves him. <laughs> like, I'm sick of this. I can't do it. Wait, what? This, this guy was like married, married? and had children. Yes. No. Yeah. I thought children. he was just like this loner no, kind of creep, no, like this he, hermit he, kind of man. No, somehow these people still reproduce. <laughs> uh, 1980, he returns to Western Australia. Okay. Uh, where he is arrested <laughs> for resisting arrest, <laughs> but was acquitted again, I guess. He was like, all right, uh, you weren't arresting, you weren't resisting arrest this time. Then he also publishes uh, Treasure is Not for the Finder, which is definitely sounds like a weird mm-hmm. love novel. Uh, 1981, he goes to Northern Territory, alleging <laughs> alleging fear from his life from police harassment. <laughs> <laughs> they ran me out of Western Australia He's again. leaving so much out of the story Dude, of what's actually going on. I assume the police harassment is just, sir... We heard some rumors about explosives being on the property. Oh, no, they're coming for me. Or he might be exploding shit. He's like, what is it now, you cops, like, bothering me? It's like, you're what blowing shit up. What is it now? And then you hear up. an explosion in yeah. the back. Right? He closes his door and a bunch of poppers go off. Uh, 1982, he's extradited to Sydney in April mm-hmm. to face trial for conspiracy, or conspiring, I'm sorry, with a Patricia Green to murder his ex-wife, Lynette Hunter, mm-hmm. the one that had left him like a couple of years ago. So it, now he's conspiring murder. Um, <laughs> oh. 1983. 1983. Okay. November 2nd. 1983. November 2nd. November 2nd. He Aliens. kills himself on the day his murder trial, or his attempted murder trial's verdict was to be read. So he's probably guilty. You would think that. He would almost certainly have been acquitted, as was Green. 
So the woman that they were charging him that he was conspiring with yeah. was acquitted, and they thought he's probably going to be acquitted too. But he didn't last for that because he thought he was going to be guilty. Yeah. So he killed himself the day of that verdict. Oh, shit. Damn. Yeah, they tried to censor the truth of the ships, (laughs) but they can't keep them down. Yeah, so it was a very bad end to him. shipwreck of a situation. Yeah. I spent all this time talking about what I've described as the Phoenician clusterfuck, if it's all true. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, any analysis of this claim uh, has to be... You have to accommodate the concern that uh, both... Shallow Well Charlie, the finder, and the advocate of the find, mm-hmm. Robinson, are dead. <laughs> so we can't really double-check that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is a quote from Dennis. The information presented is limited to Robinson's book, which elsewhere, I note, is written from the perspective of self-justification, making him out to be a victim of everyone else's incompetence or maliceness. <laughs> everyone else yeah. is wrong but me! Yeah. <laughs> Robinson first presented the detail of this discovery in his 1980 book, supposedly after holding on to it for 11 years. What? Yeah, so he held on to it for like 11 years. He said that he did not want to report anything earlier to the authorities because of his distrust of them. (laughs) Of course. This is like if you found one of the militia guys and said instead of like fighting for white rights, go Mm -hmm. find treasure in the ocean and they would devolve into this. (laughs) Uh, Given the excellent high quality and clarity of the photography the size and visibility of the target objects the ability to recheck and zoom in to examine locations in more detail and so on the coverage of the buccaneer archipelago has to be considered comprehensive and close to definitive in short evidence in support of the shipwreck or mine was not found because there was nothing to be found. So he was a bullshitter. Yeah. Basically, that translates down to, I looked over everything on Google Earth multiple times, and I couldn't find shit. So there's (laughs) nothing there. As a result, this is paraphrasing from uh, Dennis there. As a result, it has to be said that Robinson's account of his encounter with Shallow Well Charlie and the identification of a mine in Shipwreck are highly likely to be fabricated. (laughs) Oh, no! Surprise, surprise! (laughs) On this basis, there is no justification for assuming that Robinson found any evidence relating to Phoenicians either on land and sea Bullshit, dude. (laughs) You're talking it. We broke it down. (laughs) That's the closest any historian gets to, like, the, the, like, ear cupping motion of Hulk Hogan in wrestling, like the, the, the flexing, the taunting, that's as close as a historian will ever get. (laughs) He just like hulked up and he was like, just corrected him. Yeah. Just boom. You don't know. Maybe he blew them all up. Like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) he found it and he's like, no one else is going to get in. He brought out his C4. (laughs) So that actually brings us to the end of this episode. No more information. The end. Charlie's dead. Robinson's dead. Everyone's dead except for Yvonne. She lives on. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that I that was a pretty good time. Uh, I think if you also had a pretty good time, dear <laughs> listener. The best way to show us that is to give us a rate and a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever the the hell you're listening to us ramble here. Yeah. Uh, five and star. Do, do me a favor. Um, just Correct reach him. out. I mean, yeah, we'll do what Paul said. Leave, you know, five stars and then, like, just do a shout-out that you liked our episode on Instagram. Let us know you listened to it, and I'll, we'll check it out. Yeah, definitely. If you interact mm-hmm. with us on all our social media, let's got to make sure to plug that in. Uh, and completely random, um, I have, we're doing this in my studio today, and I got this 
not really like a cushion, but a hat that looks like a pillow, but it's not. It's a giant mushroom hat from Toad from Mario, and Paul has been wearing it this entire time. Yeah, you so know, you got to keep now it you can serious. think about that. Yeah, the whole time I've been looking like Toad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, and our, our social media posts, our, our accounts, everything is Back Row Lessons, B-A-C-K. Back Row Lessons. Back Row Lessons. Aliens. Aliens. More aliens. B-A-C-K-R-O-W-S-L-E-S. No. I'm spelling it wrong. B-A-C-K-R-O-W-L-E-S-S-O-N-S. If I gave him the wrong name. You it, would lose a spelling bee. I know. I I, <laughs> I was shit at spelling bees, but I did decent in geography bee. Ooh, nice. Uh, yeah. Is that a real thing? Oh, yeah. I remember, I, at least in middle school, we had it for one year, and I got like sixth or seventh. But yeah, so <laughs> social media posts, we're going to interact with you. Like we said, this first season here going to be on the two doors but next episode we're just going to be talking about the spice trade kind of how do you know how did europeans get worldwide and shit like that mm-hmm. uh we're going to look at a, a portuguese fellow that uh he's got a lot of nicknames i'll just yeah. say a lot of fun nicknames that we're definitely going to reference here but i think for now that that kind of wraps up what we're doing we're going to be mm-hmm. back here and we already miss you. We love you yeah, all. Yeah, we already miss you guys. So, yeah, if you guys want to leave us a review and rating, leave, when you leave us a review, you don't really need to say anything in particular. Just say, like, these guys told me to, or I miss Shallow Well Charlie. You know, mm-hmm. RIP to Char- Shallow Well Charlie. But that does us for uh, Back Row Lessons here on Episode 1. We'll be back next week. Uh, mm-hmm. My name is Paul. I'm Nolan. And live from the back of the classroom, we'll see you next week. Woo!